I thank you for uh, your, your faithful giving. I've noticed over the last couple of weeks when, since I said something about it to go back and check your records and make sure that you didn't miss any of your tithe. Or, you know, sometimes that happens. Sometimes you think you paid your tithe and you gave or whatever, and then you go back and look and say, oh, I missed one or two. And, I, and I've noticed that there have been some people that their tithe check has been about double what it normally is. And so that says to me that there were, there were some missed checks, but praise the Lord, it's coming in. We've got about four weeks uh, to get to the end of the year. We're about $14,000 in tithe, lower than what we projected, but we've got four weeks to get there. And I believe the Lord's going to help us, don't you? And so praise the Lord. It, it has been one of those years where you just, you have things that come up that you didn't anticipate and and uh, you just deal with it, and then you have to come back and start building up your emergency funds again. Thank God. I told Earlene the other day, I said, I'm getting tired of looking at that emergency fund. It's been at that same amount for weeks now, and I'm tired of looking at it. I said, at least put a few dollars in it. I said, even if we can't put much, put something in there. And when she brought me the report, it just made me feel so happy to see that it was larger than it had been. It's not a whole lot larger, but it's, it's larger indeed. So thank you for your faithfulness. I know we're moving into the Christmas season now, and uh, we've got gifts and parties to attend and all that. But as we do that, let's be faithful and generous with the church. We don't get any money from the government uh, or from any other source. We live by our tithe and offering and the grace of God. So uh, be, be mindful of that. We've got boxes back there, or you can give online if you choose uh, to do that, and that would be wonderful. Thank you so much. Aren't you thankful for the Lord, and He gives us everything that we have need of to be, to be successful in life? I'm going to be speaking, really tonight is more of a teaching than a preaching. I know that I told you that we were going to come in and worship and preach and all that. Uh, I learned a long time ago that there is a difference between teaching and preaching. Teaching is informational. You know, it gives you information that you need. Preaching is more inspirational. It takes the knowledge that you're receiving and then you get inspired about it and believe that you can do it. So tonight, uh, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of both probably. Uh, but I want to talk to you about how to be successful in moving through life when you need to lead. And all of us are leaders. Somebody said something the other day that just struck me, and I, it's something that I've known for a long time, but it just hit me fresh. I don't know if you've had, ever had something like that, but said, we as pastors, we don't preach and teach to gain followers, we preach and we teach to make other leaders. We lead to make leaders. I can't lead everything that needs to be led. How many of you know that? And I'm not even talking about the church in, in general. I'm talking about life in general. In your home, in your life, at your job, you have to learn how to lead. Because you're the one who has been given the ability through the power of Christ and the Spirit of God in you to lead through certain circumstances. You may be a father. I don't know how many of you have seen this on Facebook. Most of what you see on Facebook is not correct. But this particular uh, thing that I've been seeing several times is, is correct. It is, it is backed by research. 
But it says that for a family to come to church, if three, if a child leads that drive to go to church, then it, it's about 3.5% that a family will actually come if the child is asking and driving it. If it's the mother, it's, I think, 17.3%. If a mother says, let's go to church, 17.3% of families will come. But when a father says, let's go to church, 93% of the families are active in church. So guys, if you don't know it, God has given you the ability and the responsibility at home to lead your family. And I'm not trying to say, oh, guys are better than women and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying that, that, that the re research bears this out. So men, we have a responsibility to lead and to go forward. So tonight I want to talk to you about a couple of basic concepts that we will run into as we attempt to be leaders. Now, a few years back, I started uh, going down this path of learning about leadership and went to seminary, uh, had one professor there that I enjoyed so much, and I've been connected with him even after leaving seminary. Uh, his name is Dr. Fred Garman. I don't know if you know him or not, uh, but I took as many of his classes as I could possibly take because it just seemed like that everything that he said and taught resonated with me. And, and it built my Christian faith. And there were two concepts that Dr. Fred always talked about regularly. He would bring these things up. And so I'd like to share with you tonight these two concepts of leadership and how we must respond to these things in our lives if we're going to be successful. Now, let's, let's start by just me saying it's my belief that anyone who attempts anything always does so with a positive result in mind. I don't know anybody who says, I'm going to do this today, but I hope I fail. Almost everybody in any given situation, if they say, I want to do this, they do so with the mindset that I want to succeed in this. Whether you're cooking a meal for your family or whether or not you are uh, making your bed. Uh, Donna and I, we make the bed together and all that. And I, we have fun while we're making the bed because she wants it a certain way. And she'll walk around the bed and she'll kind of fluff it down and, you know, move the wrinkles off to the side. I don't care. I don't care if there's wrinkles in it or not. I really just want to get done and back to my coffee. You know what I'm saying? But I've gotten to where anymore, I kind of make fun, you know, now while we're doing it and she's spreading the wrinkles out and I, and I go along and I kind of move my wrinkles down and make it, you know, work together and, and just, you know, because I want to succeed because I've learned that if my side of the bed doesn't look as she thinks it should, I have to go back and do it again, you know? And so, I, you know, when I do it now, I want to succeed. So whatever it is, that if we're attempting to do something, we always do so with a positive result in mind. Now, we don't always get the outcome that we're hoping for, but when we start that, we go into it with the idea that we're going to do this successfully. So in the process of this then, everything we do <clears throat> begins with the desire and the plan to succeed. Now, how many of you know the devil does not want you to succeed? 
and he will bring people into your life who will do everything that they can to prevent you from being successful and from leading uh, the way that you should. And so there are two things that we typically have to deal with while we're leading through a situation. And the first one is this. It's two words. When anybody comes to you, have you ever had anybody come to you and ask you, well, if you had to do this or if you had to do that, how would you do that? Or I've been doing this. Is this the right way? Is, in your opinion, is this the correct way to do this? The response should always probably be, it depends. It depends. And here's the reason. Because there are many different factors that can play in to the given situation. So based on the information that we have, it, it could change the circumstance. So there is usually no right answer that covers every situation. Now, if you're like me, I like to have a plan that will work for everything. But life is not that way. How many of you know that? Children are not that way. Did you notice that there, if you've got multiple kids, have you noticed that each one of those children are different? You know, if in my family, when I was being raised, I was, I was the baby of the family. My sister was 11 years, oldest sister was 11 years my senior. She still is 11 years my senior. And, and, and uh, I hope she's watching on Facebook tonight. And then my middle sister is seven years my senior. And then there's me. And all of us are different. My oldest sister likes to tell everyone what to do. You know, she's the boss of the family. She thinks that she has all the experience and all the answers. My middle sister is, well, she's just a middle child. And I really think I, that's all I'm going to say about that right there. Because you know about middle children. And then there's the babies. You know, there's me. You know, I have to be coddled. I have to get all the benefits. You know, I, I'm the one that everybody loves the most. I'm the best looking. You know, I, I, I'm, you know, all those kinds of things. But we're all different. And what I, what I, the point I'm trying to make here is, is that if you're parenting multiple children, you know that what you do with one child may not work with the other child. And so if you try to have one answer that across the board works in every situation, I have bad news for you tonight. It will not work that way. It simply depends. In the church, we have had to learn that we cannot do business today in 2018 the way that we did in 1958 because the world has changed. Everything is different. I mean, we can still hold to the basic tenets of faith, and we should, but the way that we teach and preach those things has to look somewhat different. People learn differently. Some of you are audible learners. You, le you, you like to listen. My son John listens to podcasts all day. I mean, uh, every day. He's, he's got uh, phones in, headphones in or earbuds, and he's listening. And He's so talented, he can listen to them at double speed and know exactly what it sounds like. 
By the way, that is kind of fun to do. You ought to try that just if you want to laugh sometime. Put on a podcast and listen to it at double speed. And then listen to it at half speed. And it sounds like they're drunk. It's really funny. It really, you need to try that. Some people are audible. So they, they, they listen and they hear and they learn that way. Some are visual. They have to sit. And some are doers. They have to do it themselves because if they don't do it themselves, they, they'll never learn. So it depends. There is no right answer that covers every situation. Now, in gathering the proper information, it will always be necessary to gain proper information if we hope to make good decisions. Now, you've heard me say this before. I want to unpack it just a little bit for you tonight. I believe that there are two ways to make decisions. And the first is we make good decisions. Now, when I say good decisions, I'm talking about decisions that are based upon the principles of God's word. Do you remember when I came to you over eight years ago, I told you that we'd be people who were pure and people who would pray and people who would live according to the precepts or the principles of God's word. We'd be praising people and we would love people. So the precepts of God's word, the principles of making good decisions then are found in the word of God. I truly believe that the word of God touches on any situation that we'll ever face while we live in this life. Sometimes it will be very specific. Sometimes God just says, this is the way it is. And because I do not change, this will not change. This is my word. This is the way it is for eternity. But there are other things that we see in principle that we, in the word of God, that we must understand and put to use in our lives. And and so there are these good decisions that we make. The one thing that God will not violate in your life is what? It is your will. He gives you the ability to choose. John and I, we went to lunch together today and I said, have you eaten lunch? He said, no. I said, let's go to the mall. I like to people walk and you can eat anything you want to down there. And so we went down and, and, and he got some keto something in a bowl and I went to sample sample. You know, nothing keto at sample sample. But I prayed over it, sanctified it in the name of Jesus. And, 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 and you know, we're, we're sitting there and, and, you know, we're looking at all these things. He made a good decision. I, on the other hand, did not. We both had the same opportunity to make a good decision, but he succeeded and I failed because I ate way too many carbs than I should have in all those noodles and everything. So we have the opportunity to make good decisions. God probably doesn't care what house you live in and what street you live in. He gives you the opportunity to choose whether or not you like an open concept house or whether you like to have rooms in your house. God probably doesn't care that much if you have a garage or if you don't have a garage. Why? Because he gives you the opportunity to make decisions and choices that fit your lifestyle and meet your needs. And so these are good decisions that, that we make. I, I'm, you know, everybody knows that L has a new head football coach. 
And I was sitting there and I was listening to the, uh, to the news and all that kind of stuff. And, and he was talking about the decision and what, you know, why, what was the criteria, what caused him to make the decision to come to U of L. And he gave his reasoning for why he wanted to come here. Well, what I'm trying to say to you is, is that there are some things that God gives you the opportunity to choose as long as you're willing to choose within the perimeters of the Word of God. Now, if you're choosing outside of the perimeter of God's Word, then that's not a good decision. That's a terrible decision, and it will ultimately work bad things in your life. And so you have to be with, for instance, if you have the opportunity to tell the truth or tell a lie, God's not going to make you tell the truth. He's not going to come down and grab you by the shoulders and shake the truth out of you. He's going to give you the opportunity to make the choice that needs to be made. And if you choose to do what the Word of God says for you to do, that's a good decision. You say, well, I told the truth and I got in trouble. That's okay. Sometimes we have to work through situations. But I guarantee you this, if you tell one lie... You're going to tell another lie and then another lie and probably another lie because you're trying to cover all the previous lies. Whereas if you just tell the truth and ask the Lord to forgive you and help you through this situation, that, my friend, is a good decision. So we have good decisions. So when we're faced with the decision, which should we do? Well, it depends. We have a choice in the matter. We have guidelines, we have the Word of God to go by, but it depends. And what you choose may be different than what I choose, but as long as they fall within the perimeter of the Word of God, God gives us the opportunity to make good decisions. Now beyond that, God has given us the opportunity to make God decisions. Now here's what I mean by that. There are times in life when God speaks so clearly to you And so clearly to your spirit that if you're going to be obedient to him, you have to do what God says in the time that he says it and do it in the way that he says for you to do it. So there are God decisions. There are times when you don't really have a choice, even though God's not going to make you choose correctly, if you're going to please him, if you're going to exercise obedience in this situation, you're going to have to do it God's way. Now, you know, there there are some things in the Word of God that you very clearly have to abide by. For instance, it would be inappropriate for me just because my flesh wanted to have a relationship with a woman other than my wife, if that were the case, if, if that were a choice that I were being tempted with, uh, there, I can't make a good decision or make a decision that, that would be contrary to the Word of God and then come back to God and say, well, it was, yeah, I failed, but thank God for grace. Well, he might say something like this, I forgive you, but you're still going to have to pay the consequence. You see? So there are God decisions and there are good decisions. So we have to understand that. Now, there are five criteria I want to share with you tonight that will help you when, when you need to understand an action, when you need to provide validity to an action. Five criteria. Here's the first one. 
You have, to, you have to ask yourself, if I do this, number one, is it legal? Is it legal? When you get in your car and you reach over for the seatbelt and you are struggling to decide whether or not you're going to wear the seatbelt or leave it hang, as a child of God, you have a responsibility to ask yourself, is it legal for me to do that? Because if the cops catch you without the seatbelt on, guess what? You're going to get a ticket. You can't make up an excuse. You can't talk your way out of it. Ladies, you can't wink at him and bat your eyes and hope that your sexiness is overflowing at that particular moment. It won't work. It's a, well, it might work, sadly. <laughs> if I have to be truthful and honest, it might work. But the fact of the matter is, is that we must make a choice based on is it legal? And there are laws in the land. Secondly, is it moral? Now, how many of you know that there are things that uh, are, are not illegal, but they're immoral? And for us as Christians, it, it is an immoral choice. It, it does not feed uh, the good things of the Spirit of God. So number one, is it legal? Number two, is it moral? Number three, is it ethical? Now, I'm a pastor in a large city. We have people who are church of God and have been for years. They, they understand more about the church of God than I do. But they don't know how to stay in one church of God. They have to try them all. You know, they have to be at this one for a while, and that one for a while, and that one for a while, and, and then that one for a while. And, and, and they, you know, they kind of move through. And I, I'm okay with that. I really am. I, a long time ago, I got over that kind of stuff. Because listen, if you think you don't like me, let me tell you something. There are days that I don't like me. And if I had a choice to pick a different church, I'd go where there was a different pastor too. I, I get all that. But you know what gets me, my ire up just about more than anything is when a pastor calls one of our members and says, hey, I want you to start coming over here. Just leave the church where you are now and come over here. And there are pastors who do that kind of thing. And let me tell you, it's not ethical. It, it, it may not be illegal and it might not be immoral, but it's not ethical. You know, if I wanted to grow this church so that it was full every Sunday, I could do that pretty easy. But I might have to empty out some other churches in order to do that. But that wouldn't be ethical. I'm told about a pastor that took his ministry to another large city years ago, built a new facility, built a new building, and emptied out and closed down 25 churches when he opened his. Now, I'm going to tell you who it is. It doesn't matter. But it's not ethical. It, if God said, I'll build the church, then we need to be satisfied to let God put the pieces in place for a church to be healthy and to move forward. Now, in your life, when you're leading, when, when you're at work and you're faced with a decision you have to ask yourself, is this legal, is it moral, is it ethical? And if it's not, then you need to back away. Number four, is it affordable? 
Man, if you can't pay for it, it's not God's will. You say, well, I'll just go in debt. No, it's not God's will. God doesn't want us to carry debt to the point that we are bound to the debt. It's bondage. And God came to set us free in every area of our life. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I think it'd be great if we could do such and such here at the church. And I said, well, I agree with you. That would be wonderful. Would you like to finance that ministry? Because if you'd be willing to finance that ministry, I'd be open to it. But right now, it's not affordable for us. And for us to do it, even though it's not affordable, would put us in a precarious situation. You understand what I'm saying? So is it legal? Is it moral? Is it ethical? Is it affordable? And finally, is it biblical? If it doesn't line up with Scripture, then it's not God's will for our life. I don't care how you cut it. It's not. Now, I'm, I'm trying to be real careful when I say what I'm about to say because I don't want to be judgmental. <clears throat> but there is a Christian artist in the last few days who has come out in an interview and said, I, I don't know if homosexuality is wrong or not. I have a lot of people in my life who are homosexual. And so I just don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not certain. So find out, you study the scripture and find out what the Bible says about it, and then come and tell me because I'd like to know too. And, and here's the point I'm trying to make. Listen, if we've been given a platform to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we don't know what the gospel is, and we don't know what the word says, and there's something seriously wrong about that. I mean, there are certain things about the Word of God that are cut and dry. There's no gray areas there. And so we have to prepare ourselves. And when we're making decisions, then we are positioned to say, I'm sorry, I can't do that because that's not biblical. I'm sorry, I can't do that. That's not scriptural. I'm sorry I have to find another way to lead through this because for me to do that would be unscriptural and contrary to the Word of God. And so we have to, we have to go through this criteria as we're making decisions. I read this quote today. It says, There will never be a satisfying answer for the person who is not looking for the truth. Let me say that again. I don't, is it up there? Yeah. There will never be a satisfying answer for the person not looking for the truth. So the truth is what sets us free, right? And if you're trying to convince people of the truth, if they don't want the truth, if they're not seeking the truth, it doesn't matter what answer you give them, you're never going to satisfy them because it's only the truth that will set them free. So the truth, there will never be a satisfying answer for the person not looking for the truth. Has your spouse ever asked you something and you knew what the truth was, but you didn't really want to tell them what the truth was? Did you spill this stuff in the floor? Maybe. You know, the truth is pretty important stuff, isn't it? 
All right, so it depends. So what do I do here? What's the right answer here? How should I make this decision? Well, it depends on that criteria. Now, here's the second one that he used to talk about all the time. Feedback is a gift. That sounds like a load of baloney, doesn't it? Feedback is a gift. But feedback is a gift. Now, feedback is information that is provided, whether it is solicited or unsolicited, that can be used to aid in the evaluation of the success or failure of a project or decision. Feedback. Now, let's look at some ways that we can get information and feedback at, 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 that, that is solicited. Number one, you can get information that's important through surveys. A lot of times churches do surveys. A lot of times you'll go to a restaurant and they'll say, if you'll, if you'll go to this website right here and log in there and take a, a, a three-minute survey, it will help us with our service to you. Surveys. In other words, I, I, I'm, I'm soliciting information from you. I want to know what you think about this. It's like the time that I went to the Cracker Barrel and it was horrible and I wasn't going to say anything about it. I was just going to suck it up and go home and be all right with it until the manager came over and said, how was it? And I said, I wish you hadn't asked because now I have to tell you the truth. It was horrible. Service was bad, got the order wrong. When you brought the order, it was terrible. I'm sorry, I wanted it to be good. I had hoped it would be good. I want you to succeed because my wife loves Cracker Barrel. This is an easy choice for us. But if I have to be honest, it was horrible. It wasn't good. So he solicited my information and my opinion, and so I gave that because he asked for it. The second thing is asks. Um, and this would be directed toward experts. This would be directed towards people that know more about a situation than you do. Someone has a, a greater level of understanding about something than you do. So you humble yourself, if you will, and you go to them and you say, I'd like to ask your opinion about this particular area of my life. I'd like to get a recommendation from you because I know you've walked this path before. You've been through this before, and therefore, I am very interested in your opinion. So would you give me your opinion in this matter? It is a solicited feedback. Then there's observation. In other words, may I observe what you're doing? May I see you do it? May I watch you do it? Uh, it, because I know that you're able to do it. And if I can watch you do it, and if I can get that clear in my mind, then it will help me in the future as I try to do and emulate what you're trying to do. It's an ask. And listen, don't, and it's an observation. Don't be afraid to observe and don't be afraid to ask because the Bible says, if you ask not, you have not. So you have to ask. And then the fourth thing would be study or research. In other words, we need to read the Bible. What does it say about this? What does it say about that situation? What does it say? I need to understand. I need to know. College education. You may be in a field where you need to go to another level of education. Seminars. Preaching slash teaching. 
And then if none of that works, Google it. You got to get in the information. I've learned how to do things watching YouTube videos. I've learned how to do things that I never thought I'd be able to do just by Googling it and then pulling it up on YouTube and watching it and say, well, I can do that. I, there's no question that I can do that. But I wouldn't have known how to do it had I not solicited the information. So that's, a, that, that's something that we need to understand, study and research. And then finally, fifthly, mentors. We need to have people in our lives who can speak into our lives. Speak people that we trust. Mentors, number one, are given a place of respect. We honor them. We respect them. We're hoping to get information from them because we have a respect for their life and for their ministry or for the job that they have done. They are given a place of respect. Secondly, they are given permission to speak honestly into our lives. I don't want anyone in my life mentoring me unless they know that they can tell me when I have messed up and when I have fouled up. And it's always interesting to me, all the young people that I've tried to mentor through the years who have come to me and say, I've got a call of God in my life. I've got to do this. God, I can't sleep at night because I know I've got a call. Will you mentor me? Will you help me? And the first time that I suggest that they need to do something different, I'm offended with you. Well, I don't care if you're offended with me or not. I'm giving my time to help you become what it is that you say you want to do and that what God wants you to do. And I'm not going to pity pat around the issues. I'm not going to be mean to you. I'm not going to be uncaring. But if I can't help you grow, then I don't have time for this. It sounds mean, but I'm not trying to be mean. But we've got to give people the opportunity, mentors, to speak into our lives in a way that we can learn. They are authorized to hold me accountable. <clears throat> I give them permission. Hold me accountable. John and I kind of have that relationship going on right now. He's my son. I'm his father. I'm the lead pastor. And he's not. <clears throat> and sometimes I say to him, I would like for you to do this so it will help you. This past Sunday, he preached, and he did a, an awesome job. There, there, I don't ever worry about the content that will come from John Baker. I don't ever worry about it. It's going to be deep. It's going to be good. It's going to be useful. I said, but there's a couple of body ticks that I want you to look. I want you to watch it on video, see if you can figure out what it is. Now, listen, I'm not being mean to him. I do the same thing to me. I watch myself on video, and let me tell you, it's a painful experience. I can see when my hair's sticking up in a place or if my, if my tie's sideways and all that kind, of, that, that kind of stuff just drives me nuts. I'm much harder on myself than anyone else is harder, uh, hard on me. And I said, just, just look at yourself, just watch yourself, and you'll be able to identify. I, I'm not saying it to embarrass. I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it to be mean. I, I'm saying it and requiring it because it will help him in the long run. And, and so a mentor has to have the ability to hold the mentee accountable. And then finally, a mentor is usually retained for a specific period of time. There comes a time when you need to grow beyond your mentor. When you've learned everything that you can learn from them, you need to move beyond them. 
Because you'll never learn more until you put yourself in a more challenging situation and environment. We sometimes get comfortable with our situation. We get comfortable with our mentor when really what we need to do is move on so that we can learn on another level. And so, so these, are, these are things that are solicited. Now, I want to get to the fun part. There, there's always unsolicited information. There are people in your life that they're going to tell you what they want you to know, even if you don't want to know it. It's unsolicited. And the first one is critics. I don't mind telling you we've got critics in this church. They just don't know that I know it. I can walk up on them in conversations and I can hear them criticizing this or that or whatever. And when they turn around and look at me, they go pale white because they didn't want me to hear that. They wouldn't have the intestinal fortitude to come to my face and say it, but they don't mind saying it to someone else and being critical of something or anything that's happening. Now, just like that happens in a church, now, let's just get this out of the way. Listen, we're all imperfect people. I'm imperfect. Critics are imperfect as well. Critics are motivated many times by inconvenience. Well, I don't want to do that. That's inconvenient for me. I don't want to be there on that day of the week. That's inconvenient for me. I don't like that time. That's inconvenient. I don't like for choir, choir practice to be on that night. That's inconvenient for me, for me, for me, for me. It doesn't matter about anybody else. It only matters about me. Same thing in your life outside of the church. There are people that will criticize simply because what is being suggested is inconvenient for them. Secondly, many critics are motivated by their emotions. <laughs> Nobody likes me. I just can't do it. I'm fearful. I can't do it. I'm so afraid. I'm full of discomfort. I'm discontented. I have anxiety. I don't know if I can do that or not. Anxiety. All those things play in emotions. So then when you see somebody, if you're an emotional basket case and you see someone who carries themselves with some confidence, it can be irritating. And it can cause that individual to bring criticism that is unwarranted. Sometimes it's motivated by hate. I had a lady in a church one time told me, she said, I don't know why, but I simply do not like you. I don't have a reason for it. You're not a bad preacher. You don't get on my nerves. I, I don't know why I don't like you, but I simply don't like you. You say, really? I asked her husband. I said, what did I do to her? You didn't have to do anything to her. She just doesn't like you. And I thought to myself, well, maybe they'll go to a different church. They didn't go to another church. She stayed and became a thorn in my flesh. Critical of everything just because she didn't like me. She loved Donna. She hated me. Some of you are thinking, I, I can relate to that. <laughs> Sometimes it's because of jealousy. 
They're jealous. Maybe you have a place in the church that they'd like to have. Or maybe you're doing something that, that someone else, uh, that, that they'd like to be doing. Or maybe someone got some attention and they didn't get the attention and so they're going to criticize. Sometimes it's a personal agenda. Did you ever hear anybody say that? Well, that's fine. But personally for me, I prefer this. I like that. I don't care what everybody else thinks. For me, I like this. You know, it's a personal agenda that they're driving. And again, it's the same thing at the place where you work or in your family or whatever the case may be. I have a personal agenda. And then lastly, the last one I'll give you is motivated by traditional influence. If I had a nickel for every time somebody started coming to our church and they said, I love this church. Oh, it's so freeing here. You're so, there's such a spirit of liberty here. Everything is so wonderful. Oh, you preach so good. The choir sings so wonderful. This is the greatest church in the world. <clears throat> and then six weeks later, they come up and they say, you know what? At the last church I was at, we did this. You ought to consider doing that. You know what my answer to them always is? Go back to that church. They miss you. They need you. We're, we're okay here. We're not changing our vision just to get you to come to church here. It's not going to happen because our vision has come from the Lord. And if we fail to abide by what God has called us to do, then we're going to fail in the kingdom of God. So traditional influence. Now let me move on. Sometimes it comes through intervention. Our bodies let us know when we need to pay attention. Have you, have you ever noticed you, I, you wake up, I just don't feel very good. I, you know, something's wrong. It's not quite there. My head's not clear. Got a headache. Something's wrong. Our body intervenes and causes us to make decisions in order to, to, to uh, meet that need. Sometimes it's relational. Sometimes a family member or a friend or an accountability group or a boss at work will come and say, I, I want to talk to you about this. Let me help you succeed in this area. And sometimes it's motivated by the Spirit of God within us. We have to believe that the Scripture says that the, the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And so if our steps are not moving properly, then the Spirit of the Lord will get us on track. Okay, and then I'm, I'm going to close. I'm going to give you three, uh, th three responses to feedback. First of all, let me say feedback provides no value to those who hold it in contempt. Feedback has no value to those who hold it in contempt. In other words, whatever kind of feedback comes, I, I hold it in contempt. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to believe it. I don't want to accept it. And it will have no value in your life. So here's the three responses. If I respond to feedback with a negative spirit, I run the risk of nullifying its perfecting potential. All feedback has the possibility of giving us a perfecting and a maturing process in our lives. 
But if I look at it with a negative spirit, then I have, it, it, it nullifies that feedback being able to change me in a positive way. And so I have to have a good spirit. Secondly, if I am impervious to feedback, I may miss an opportunity to make productive adjustments. Now, everybody say this with me. I am not perfect. I don't know everything. Sometimes I do things and sometimes I've done things for years and did it improperly. And someone would come to me and say, hey, did you know that instead of doing that like that, you could do it like this and it would be much better? It's like taking a child who's gotten a fresh cup of yogurt out and they got a spoon in their hand, but instead of holding the spoon properly, they wrap their entire hand around it and they dig down in it and then they, they try to get it in their mouth like this. When if they'd hold the spoon right... They could feed themselves and enjoy it much better. Now, there are things in our lives that need to be adjusted. But if I'm impervious to it, if I refuse to accept it, then that feedback will never bring the benefit that it needs to bring to help me make a, po a positive and a productive adjustment. And then last, if I accept feedback with an open mind and a humble spirit, I can maximize its value. Feedback is a gift. So the two things that I want you to understand tonight is, is that as you're leading through life and as you're having to make decisions about life and about your situation, there are these two characteristics that you're going to run to into at some point. Number one, some are going to say, what do you think about this? How should we do this? And you're going to have to say, it depends. We need more information. We need to look this thing uh, more closely, look at it more closely, because it depends. We don't have everything we didn't need to know. And then secondly, you're going to have to remember that when people criticize me, and when people come against me, and when they tell me how bad I am, or how wrong I am, or how good I am, and how wonderful I am, and you're, you're just perfect. Donna tells me that all the time. You're just, you're just perfect. It's hard for me to fight against that, but I know it's not true. And so I have to accept that feedback and then adjust it so that it is truth in my life. You can lead. Look at your neighbor and say, you can lead and you can do it effectively with God's help. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we've had tonight together uh, and, and to study your word, study your principles and the things that are guided by your word and by your spirit. I pray that, that we'll lead up, that we'll raise up leaders in this church. That as they go into their homes and into their jobs, and even here in this body of believers, that they will utilize the gifts that you've given them to be the best they can be for the kingdom of God. We ask it in Jesus' lovely name, amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming tonight. There's choir practice, right?